Welcome to Common Ground, a talk show encouraging debate and a deeper understanding of hot-button topics in Berlin and beyond. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Remember when teachers, students, and parents used to welcome schools being closed, whether it was for holidays or the occasional snow day? But then COVID-19 came along. Senior producer Adina El-Sayed reports. The coronavirus pandemic is forcing people to depend on the internet like never before, whether it's to chat, shop, conduct business, or go to school. Around the world, hundreds of millions of students spend their days at home on their computers or other devices, learning and taking tests online. But for many, it isn't going so well. Critics charge virtual schooling has widened the gap between the haves and have-nots and left many children behind in their education. Good morning. Good morning. In wealthy countries like Germany, where the internet capacity was trained before the coronavirus, the online school experience is mixed. Parent Mirja Gerardo told public broadcaster Deutsche Welle it's especially difficult for working parents to navigate the virtual school landscape. She says it's wrong to think parents can work at home and homeschool their children at the same time. Even popular satirist Jan Böhmemann poked fun at virtual learning shortcomings in a video posted last month. While writing on a chalkboard, he jokes how online schools are one-size-fits-all, with the same lessons being taught to everyone, regardless of grade level or subject. Böhmemann quipped it would be too confusing and strain YouTube storage capacity to do otherwise. But Chancellor Angela Merkel says Germany doesn't have much of a choice but to teach its children virtually, given surges spurred on by more infectious variants of the coronavirus. Merkel said earlier this month that schools will remain closed at least until the 14th of February. Other officials estimate it will be a lot longer. Thuringia Education Minister Helmut Holter told public broadcaster MDR he expects classrooms will remain empty, at least until Easter. So what is working and what isn't during the pandemic? And is virtual learning here to stay? That was senior producer Dina El-Sayed. Joining me on Zoom to talk about the challenges of online schooling in Germany are Ryan Plocker, a teacher in Neukölln who is with the teachers' union, GEW Berlin, Adri Oldham, a teacher at a bilingual school in the German capital, whose subjects include English, social studies, and global learning, Annette von Wedel, who has two school-aged sons and is a diversity consultant who heads the Berlin-based association Female Vision, and Dr. Ilka Volta, a psychologist who heads the Competencies, Personality, and Learning Environments Department at the Leibniz Institute for Educational Trajectories in Bamberg. Welcome to you all. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks. Ilka, let's start with you. There isn't much choice during the pandemic, but is virtual schooling a good replacement for going to school? That's a very interesting question, and we're still uh, looking for all the answers to that. But we conducted a study in May last year during the first period of the uh, school closures, and we see in our findings when we ask parents of children in grade eight that their children manage tasks and challenges quite well during the first months of uh, school closures. However, like 30% of parents who said it, it was rather difficult to motivate children to learn. And this was especially true for boys. So I think there are still some aspects that we need to consider when we talk about successful learning during like distance learning or remote learning and school closures. 
Well, it's interesting that you say that because especially boys, and I think about my own son when he was younger, or even now as an adult, will spend an awful lot of time on his computer, whether it's looking at YouTube videos or playing video games. Is it just that because it's school that they have a harder time paying attention? Or what is it specifically about the online experience that makes it more difficult for them to learn? I'm not sure if it is particularly difficult for boys as compared to girls. I think uh, most students had difficulties in this time. And we also looked for uh, prerequisites of children. So to see what kind of things would help them to cope in this time and to learn well. And in our findings, we saw that children who were good at reading and had a high willingness to make an effort were better at uh, coping in this time and were uh, better able to manage challenging tasks and difficult tasks. And maybe that is something that is related to this gender aspect, but uh, in a way we cannot answer that yet because we're not sure whether it's really boys who struggle at distance learning as compared to girls. Well, let me talk about the teacher's perspective for a moment with Adri and Ryan, um, and we'll start with Adri first. How much online teaching have you been doing on average since the pandemic began? Yeah, that's a really good question. In the first lockdown, because it was so sudden, there really wasn't a plan. And so I think different teachers handled things very differently. Um, I had experience in online tutoring already, so I just um, actually talked to a friend of mine who teaches online. She said, try Zoom. They gave me a free license for unlimited Zoom because I'm a teacher. And so I just basically wrote to my kids and said, let's get online. Let's just hang out and let's talk to each other. So I was teaching almost the same number of hours as I would normally have been teaching. But a lot of it was really just like social emotional check-ins and giving them little challenges and um, not trying to transmit content so much, but get engaged. And then since the lockdown in December, so since the 16th of December, we're teaching pretty much the standard schedule, but I think everybody's hours, like the, the students' contact hours have been reduced just to, I think, limit screen time, basically, and to obviously keep in mind that kids are working in homes with their entire families. Yeah, but it's pretty much, pretty much the same number of hours as usual. Ryan, was your experience similar to that? No, because um, in Neukölln, of course, a lot of students live in poverty and not everyone has their own computer. Not everyone has fast internet at home. Not everyone has a space to learn that is quiet enough for distance learning or video conferences. So I've really been using video conferences as sparingly as possible because I know that a lot of my students will be excluded from them if I'm not timing them properly and being in contact with them in a way that shows that I'm not putting them under pressure to struggle with their families to get more internet time. And of course, there are some who can only participate over their mobile phones. And um, that's, of course, an enormous limitation. It's much easier to participate in a video conference if you're looking at a computer than if you're looking at a smartphone. So I'm differentiating here, um, not only by ability, but especially by digital infrastructure at home. So then how do you compensate for that? I mean, if you're not putting in the hours in a video conference, um, how are you able to teach your students or, or what are you doing? Well, I'm certainly still putting in the hours, but we have a messenger service, which is approved by the data protection rules. And um, of course, some of the students I only reach via telephone and the students who have absolutely no internet access at home. Yes, they've received worksheets from me in the mail. And I'm pleased that I have contact with them at all if via telephone. But that's of course a, a different experience if you're working in a, in a wealthy neighborhood than if you're working in a place with a lot of disadvantaged children. 
Well, let's talk to Aneta for a moment, who comes to this as a parent. How many hours, and you're also, a, a, obviously, you have a job as well. How many hours a day each week do your son spend in online school? And how does that affect your work schedule? They spend at least four hours, my older son even more. And um, this is a process uh, for us, like with me and my husband, to find ourselves into that situation because we had it in the first lockdown as well when it came like a surprise and also like a shock what that means to have two children at home (laughs) without the possibilities and with nobody being really prepared. So the second lockdown now came really as a shock because all of a sudden I felt that I wasn't prepared either. And the first week in January, I was so angry, especially with the school, with the teachers. I I wrote angry mails because I, I don't know, for some reason I thought, okay, it's Monday and I start to do my work and my children do somehow digital um, schooling. Let me just ask, are you all in the same space when you do this? I mean, for example, here at my Now we are very fortunate in that way. Like, we have enough space to everybody find a place. We have VLAN. We are a bit better prepared now than in March with the infrastructure. Also, the school of my one child asked uh, the parents whether they need a computer. So we asked for another computer. So now, you know, they don't have to work on my computer. So... (laughs) The circumstances are perfect, I would say, like what Ryan described, we are in a much better position as a family and also that my husband and myself, we can work from home. But as I said, I was not prepared. I was so angry in the first week of January, um, seeing how like different schools worked with that situation. So the one school of my younger boy, I had the feeling they hadn't really prepared a lot. And, and I had my son coming to me and asking me a lot of questions where I thought, hey, come on, I'm not your teacher. <laughs> I want to sit and do my work. And it took me a while to understand that the teachers are really trying their very best. And that the problem is in a way with me thinking I can work the way I always worked in a world that is completely changing. So my husband did what we also did in March. We split the days. We planned the week and we, uh, you know, one is in duty from morning to two o'clock and the other one is from two o'clock to six. And uh, because it's not only the schooling, it's also to do a little bit of a program in the afternoon, right? Because one is nine, the other one is 14. Uh, They can't really meet friends, you know, they need to go out and otherwise they'd always sit in front of those um, technical machines. So, and as soon as we decided to do that, to change the way we work and try to adjust, uh, which also means that I have to discuss with the people that I'm working with to say, you know, there are times when I'm not really available. I'm sorry, (laughs) world is changing. The way we work is changing and the way school is working is changing. And our boys are not the ones who could sit alone while I'm sitting and working. And this is the last thing I say, we have two very different sons. We have an older son who has a lot of difficulties to learn as quick as others do. He needs more time, he needs more explanation, and he is potentially overwhelmed. While his school is, I think, doing it quite well, it's always a lot. It's always he feels like being flashed with all the duties he has to deliver. While the younger one is very clever, very quick, and he is really bored, like within one hour, He's through with the things that the school gives him to do. And then, you know, he's really bored. In this spectrum, we are managing our way. 
Well, Ilka, it's very interesting. Aneta, obviously, with her husband, has come up with a pretty structured environment in order to help their sons succeed. How important is that parental involvement to the online schooling experience? Yeah, it's interesting. I I meant to add on that because what we see in our findings is that uh, especially when parents are satisfied with the support they get by schools, then they also uh, perceive the learning outcomes as better for their children. So they actually say their children learn better in this uh, school, even though that is not very high. So we still have like about 70% of parents who said that their children learned less uh, during this uh, first time of lockdown and school closures. So It's still uh, only a few children whose parents think they learned uh, even the same or more than in regular school weeks. Uh, So I think uh, parents' support and also the perception of support by schools is very important in that manner. Also, we see that it seems to be important uh, if parents uh, think that they are able to help their children with learning content. And that is something that uh, seems to be important as well. So being able to... um, help with the learning material and uh, give them structure during the day or help them planning. And I assume that it's more important for younger children than for children in secondary school or high school. So we don't have uh, that much data on it yet, but I assume a future research will show that it's more important for children in primary school, that parents are available and help uh, during the school day. Well, Ryan, you've talked about some of the very real challenges and, in fact, some of the very real criticisms about the discrepancy and the discrimination that widens the gap between haves and have-nots in our society. I'm wondering on the flip side, though, because you have these students who are perhaps in a cramped apartment and, you know, are, are struggling because they may not have all the technology available to them, do they in turn have more parental involvement since they're in close proximity to those parents during this lockdown? In my experience, not at all. Um, They often have several siblings, which means that the elder siblings who would be more able to learn on their own are then responsible for the younger siblings because often these parents still have to go to work during the day. Working from home is a privilege of white collar jobs. So the kids who have less digital infrastructure at home almost always have less parental support. Do you have any thoughts on how this experience, because it's a very real part of of going to school in 2020, 2021, potentially beyond that, what could make it better or easier or maybe level the playing field a bit? Uh, That's unfortunately a very difficult question to answer, because while schools um, and, of course, a lot of community help have uh, put an effort in to get computers and tablets into the hands of as many students as possible, that doesn't solve problems like if you have to take care of your younger siblings or if you just don't have very good internet at home. So I think the government could have been thinking a little bit more broadly in terms of learning needs, that learning is not just about having a book, but nowadays it also involves fast internet, which is not available everywhere in Germany, and it's also not free. And in terms of the infrastructure that the government could have prepared for for public schools much earlier, a lot of us use different learning platforms Some of them have been approved by the government. Others are just sort of vaguely recommended. And none of them really have the server capacity that's necessary. So even when all of the students have peace and quiet and their own computer, then we still can't all do video conferencing. So inevitably, 
digital learning has to be a combination of methods, no matter what you end up choosing. And we're definitely going to get more into that topic in the second half of the podcast. But before we go to break, I wanted to ask you, Adri, about a unique experience that you're having with online education. Since last spring, you've been connecting some of your middle school students in Berlin with some of their counterparts in California on a regular basis. What have you discovered are the main differences between the way Berlin and Marin County are doing online schooling? And you can, you know, obviously limit this to your experience and their experience rather than something broader, you know, since I know that you're obviously one teacher. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I want to preface my answer by really recognizing what Ryan has said, right, is that I work in a relatively well-resourced school. Obviously, there are kids in different circumstances, but on the, in the general scheme of things, yes, we're at the upper end of the socioeconomic ladder, right? And that being said, Marin County is on another level. So this is, for example, a school where all the kids uh, have Apple devices provided to them. I mean, the school has an arrangement with Apple, right? So I just want to preface it with that, right? By saying we're starting from a very high level of resources and support. That being said, the exchange has been wonderful. It's been a really amazing opportunity, fully optional, right? It's for my eighth graders, now eighth graders, last year, seventh graders, to connect with kids of the same age group on the other side of the ocean. And uh, the two teachers over there and I collaborate just on like ideas. So we meet also just to talk about what we're teaching and how and different ways to um, integrate sort of creativity and engagement again online. But the kids love it. And I got to say, like, there are fewer differences than you would expect. They really like talking about like the Netflix shows that they're watching. But then they also engage with each other on really high level questions. Like it motivates the kids to understand how, for example, the governments are dealing with Corona. Right. Um, So the kids are reading the news in a way they might not have because they're wanting to ask questions of the California kids. The California kids, I would say, are much more aware of European politics, German politics, the international system um, than I would say the average American student. And I would like to think that the exchange has something to do with that. It opens up the boundaries of what is normal right now, because our worlds have in a lot of ways gotten quite small and in a way to see that other kids are going through the same experience, but it's also different. And you can expand your understanding of what is normal right now. I think that's been really, really valuable and validating for the kids who are participating every couple of weeks in this exchange. Are there things that they're doing that you've learned that have proven useful to the way you're doing online schooling here? I think what's been really valuable for me is actually getting to sit in on another teacher's lessons online, which I haven't really gotten to do from here. And I've sort of learn some new creative techniques and again, ways to engage students at the beginning and the end of every lesson, um, making sure everyone feels seen and welcomed and necessary (laughs) um, to making that lesson successful. So yeah, I think there's things that we're learning from each other. I wouldn't say that, you know, one city is doing things better than the other. I think, again, it really comes down to, on the one hand, a very individual approach and on the other hand, like a systemic approach. And it is quite hard to compare. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about how virtual schooling is working in Germany and whether it can be improved. Stay tuned. Now's a great time to tap into some of KCRW's best work. Hear in-depth interviews with the creative minds that drive Hollywood on the business and the treatment. 
Break away from the dominant media landscape with Our Body Politic, a news and politics show by and for women of color. And don't miss Press Play with award-winning host Madeline Brand. There's more to love, so keep it tuned to KCRW. Welcome back to Common Ground. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and joining me via Zoom to talk about the challenges of online schooling are diversity consultant and parent Annette von Wedel, Berlin teachers Ryan Plocker and Adri Oldham, and psychologist Dr. Ilka Volta. I want to bring up a Citrix survey of parents that was done in seven industrialized countries last summer, in which German schools came in last. The survey found that one in 10 students in Germany experienced a smooth transition to online learning. I mean, that's one in 10. Do these survey results surprise any of you? Ryan, you want to address that? I don't think that's surprising at all. Uh, Investment in education in Germany has barely increased in the last 10 years, even though uh, Chancellor Merkel said that we were going to be a Bildungsrepublik in 2008, I believe. And even when the federal government tries to invest money in schooling, it almost never manages to make it all the way down to the local level because of issues with bureaucracy and whatever. The buildings are in terrible condition. We could have been working on digitalization 20 years ago. Sometime in the course of the next year, every teacher in Berlin is finally supposed to get an official email address. Wow. (laughs) And that's still a maybe. That's still not actually certain. So there was plenty of opportunity to solve the issues related to data protection long before uh, this pandemic hit. And the pandemic has just made it more and more clear how badly underfunded education is in this country. And I would be really surprised if any parents were satisfied at all. Ilka, go ahead and and, uh, you wanted to say something? I agree because um, we have other studies, for example, as the school barometer who also, uh, this is a study that was conducted uh, in March 2020 and then again in December 2020. And they also showed that teachers think that schools are not very well prepared for digital uh, teaching. So they still see a need of improvement for uh, digital technologies in school and for also the digital competencies of teachers. So uh, teachers still feel that they have to learn a lot about using digital media in school. And uh, it's not only the infrastructure, but also the competencies of uh, teachers to actually teach in a virtual environment. Are kids actually using the computer enough at school when they are in school? I mean, is that making a difference? Because the description that Ryan was giving is of a technological deficit, if you will, in the schools that existed even before the pandemic. So I'm just wondering, um, is it more of a jolt because the kids don't necessarily have access to that laptop or device technology at their schools to begin with? Yeah, sure. So using digital media in school even before the COVID-19 pandemic and the changing in teaching was not uh, very often. So it will be interesting to see how it's going to change after uh, this uh, time and to see how it's going to change when we come back to regular schools and if if there's actually an improvement in using digital media in teaching and in schools, even in regular schools. We have a lot of studies showing that uh, there is a lot of ways to improve that uh, even before the pandemic. And it's going to be interesting to see how the pandemic is going to change that in the future. Uh, Go ahead, Annette. Yeah, because I'd like to come also back to Ryan, who said it's not enough, you know, teaching doesn't mean to give a book or to give a computer. 
teaching is much more. And I think um, the Corona crisis is like a burning glass, uh, making things that didn't work before even bigger because teaching was not like very creative before Corona. And now using digital channels doesn't make it better because if you don't play with it, if you're not creative with it, if you just use it as emails and things to do for the children, that's not digital education. What I realized is that we would need more creativity in using different ways of working in a digital way, but it also needs more teachers. You can't teach a group with 25, 26, 30 people. You can't do Zoom conferences when people put off the screen and do anything else, right? It, it, so I think um, it's no wonder that it is as it is. And my last point is my one son has a mathematical teacher. And I think he's doing the education like a professor in the university. And so he's standing at the front and just writing down things and the children have to copy without really explaining. And he's doing the same in the digital world. I, I realized it when sitting next to my son, he thought he was the only one who didn't understand anything. And I, I told him, you know, I've seen the faces of all your other children in the class. Nobody really understands it. Do you feel that your children are ahead or behind where they would have been in terms of their education and what they're learning um, if there hadn't been this pandemic forcing everybody online? You know, I'm not so afraid that my children are not learning enough. It's more um, that they, if they do stuff, they do it and really learn what they do at that moment and that they like what they do, that they work in school in a way that opens their curiosity. Is that correct? Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, if they sit here and spend time with homeschooling, then I really wish that they have a good time, that they have a challenging time, but also time where they learn something new and something creative, where their mind is opened for understanding things. Adri, let's talk for a moment about what Jan Bremermann said in the story where he was joking about sort of a one-size-fits-all approach to online teaching. Are you having to sort of standardize what it is you're offering online more so than if you were in the classroom? Well, I understand where the critique is coming from. Absolutely. I think, yeah, it was a pretty hilarious satire um, or parody, but I actually don't feel as though things have to be standardized. This, you know, connects with everything that has been said so far with regard to socioeconomic and like cultural differences with sort of psychological resources, family resources, and honestly, like our philosophy of education, if we were going to get really big. So no, I, I don't feel like I have to standardize. In fact, I think the ethos that I bring to teaching, which I'm not unique in at all, is that like we need to develop students' skills and resilience and capacity to deal with the world around them, whatever that is, and to face challenges with creativity, with, with interest, with an open mind, um, and to use the resources they have at their disposal, even if it feels like they don't have any resources at their disposal. And in a way with online learning, I feel like I'm able to differentiate more because for example, students I know who've dealt with traumas in the past show more resilience right now because they have tools in their toolbox. And so they can actually support others who are struggling if this is the first time they faced something, a real massive disruption to their lives, right? So I can call on the resources of those students to help their peers. Then I can dedicate some of my energies to the kids who really need more maybe from me right now whether they need me to just check in with them more often, whether they need a little bit more explanation, 
whatever it is. And I also feel like I can send more resources their way. So I can say like this other teacher is gonna drop into our call for 10 minutes, you should ask them, they're an expert. Or here's a really cool video you can watch. Um, at a very basic level, the platform that we're using for um, the, like the online learning system that we're using allows you to post assignments to individual students. So I can differentiate and I can single out students for support without singling them out in the way that they might feel singled out in a classroom. It's a lot more work, but that doesn't mean that it's uh, not a good use of, of energy and time. So I don't wanna sound like I'm being really overly optimistic. I'm not, I'm trying to be very realistic about it. But I do think that the idea that online learning has to be one size fits all is more of a reflection of what we think school is, right? And not what it, what it could be. Um, and I think that Ilka wanted to maybe add on to that a little bit. Because I think it's very interesting because what we also see is that uh, even though in the first uh, period of school closures, it was more like providing learning materials or uploading it to an AA cloud system or like uh, handing out PDF uh, working sheets or something. And we see that it changes to more interactive formats right now. So really uh, going into communication forms, uh, talking uh, in virtual conference systems and so on. And I think this is actually something that would help for your examples or for the things you said right now to actually being able to individually support students based on what their uh, prerequisites are and what they bring to schools. Yeah. Ryan, you were starting to talk about this a little bit before the break, but what is it that you need from the Berlin government, from school officials, in order to help you in your online teaching? I mean, what would strengthen it that could be done quickly and realistically, or maybe not so quickly? Well, as I said before, I think what can be done uh, the most quickly is increasing server capacity so that when students have uh, the infrastructure at home that they need, that we can use the technology that we have. It's extraordinarily frustrating when the school cloud server crashes every single day at 8 a.m. And then you think to yourself, well, there's really no point in me trying to give the students structure when I spend almost all of my lesson telling them, okay, we'll just close your browser and then refresh it and then try logging in again. And all right, well, maybe we won't do a video conference today, et cetera, et cetera, because the server capacity isn't there. And that's a problem that could be solved very easily. I think it would also be good if there were... Um, a little bit more ambitious plans in terms of making sure that all the students have the necessary infrastructure they have. The state government bragged quite a bit about how many tablets they bought, but in a city with one in three students living in poverty, going out and buying like 100,000 tablets is a drop in a bucket. And doing it now instead of in December or November when we had contact with the students every day is obviously just poor governance. So really, if they want to improve education, then they need to make it a priority. And at present, it seems they're just trying to muddle through, as is very common, uh, I think, in German governance. So what role do each of you think virtual learning is going to play in the future? I mean, pandemic aside, do you think that this is here to stay or that maybe, you know, to make class sizes smaller, that there might be sort of a hybrid online versus in-school presence? Or do you think it's all just going to go away if the pandemic goes away? And I'll start with Ilka. Um, no, I think, or at least I hope that things will change after we go back to regular school days. 
Um, yeah, and especially I think uh, the things that we talked about before, using digital media more often in regular um, teaching courses and implementing it in your regular course system and maybe the examples that we're giving uh, to use it for exchange with other schools or to use it to uh, actually come in contact with other groups of students would be a very interesting thing that I think could be something that continues even after we're going back to regular school system. And I, at least I think it uh, that will be the case, but we will see that uh, in the future, uh, how much of the changes that happen right now are really sustainable and will really continue later on. And another thing that I think is important, what Annette said before, is to actually also think about didactics, to think about how to use uh, digital media and not just using it in a general way, but really adapting it to the uh, learning content and to use it in a sensible way would be something. And I think this will stick, or I hope this will stick. What about you, Aneta? Do you think online schooling is here to stay or are you hoping it will? Um, I think online schooling has a lot of good things also. You know, we don't have to get up so early and we just have to go from bed directly to kind of school, which is really nice for our bio rhythm. I really don't know what I should wish. In, in a way, I would wish it goes away uh, because I think the children also need the social interaction with friends and to be in direct contact with a teacher is different and also change places, not always stay at home. If this would go on now for the future onwards, um, I think not a really attractive perspective for none of us. Um, maybe what the next step of challenge will be when they do um, when, when the education is one group in school and the other part at home, that's going to be a big stretch also for the teacher, how to manage that. What is with the children who are at home? Is it kind of then a hybrid kind of um, school lessons? We'll have to deal with it for quite a while. And I really wish that the ideas are getting creative and that there's support for teachers, um, that there's kind of best practice learning from each other but that there's a perspective that children also can go to school, go to that place, meet their friends, um, and not only in a digital way. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, do you envision or do you want even a hybrid uh, sort of learning situation, even post-pandemic, where uh, internet learning or virtual teaching is still part of the package? A lot of pedagogy is very interpersonal. It's about learning to deal with other people and also learning to be around an adult who is not your parent. Um, and this is essential for young people of, of all ages. And we cannot replace that by having a computer screen between teacher and student. I think what we have found and developed during this time in terms of the fun stuff, I think a lot of that is going to be implemented permanently into um, regular curriculum and regular teaching. So that the learning apps and the messenger services and then all of the essential software skills that I think haven't been taught in schools before. Um, how do I use a word processing program? How do I make a presentation? How do I make a video and use it for school? How do I remember a password if I'm uh, a first grader? All of these are essential skills for the 21st century and we're finally being forced to incorporate them more into schooling. But really the core basis of teaching, which is an interpersonal relationship, has to be done in person, I think. Adri, what do you think? My goodness, I'm not sure what I can add. <laughs> yeah, just building on what everyone else has already said, that what I hope continues beyond sort of lockdown is that we continue to embrace that creativity and imagination as a core part of learning. 
And that in addition to pedagogy being at its core, as Ryan said, a, a relationship between a teacher and a student and, adult, and you know, another trusted adult who can kind of guide the way, I would love it if we can embrace learning as an offer, as an opportunity and teachers as a facilitator and maybe embrace the model of some schools that already exist that are more flexible in their learning structure, place, space, schedule, right? There's one in Berlin called the ASBZ, which is um, a project-based learning school. And there's several around the world that are even more sort of open and democratic than that. Um, I would love to see more creative thinking in the way that, that school functions in order to actually produce the people who are going to to reconstruct our society rather than saying, we're just gonna go back to the old structure or maybe we'll like split it in half, you know? I would really like to see, yeah, more and more creativity and a real understanding of what the purpose of school really is and, and can be. That's our show for today. My guests are diversity consultant and parent, Annette von Wedel, Berlin teachers, Ryan Plocker and Adri Oldham, and Dr. Ilka Volta of the Leibniz Institute for Educational Trajectories in Bamberg. Thank you all for being on Common Ground. Thank you. Thank us. you. Thank you. Our senior producer is Dina El Sayed, and I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next Monday for another episode of Common Ground. You can download all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>